0: Today we're going to do another one of our updates about the persecuted church. We've done a couple of these already. Um, so some of these, you, some of this, the early stuff, the, the statistics and some of the background information you guys may have heard. But I try and keep these updated. And you know, we try and do these periodically once or twice a year. Because it's really important that we stay aware of what is going on with our brothers and sisters who aren't right here. And, and that's, that's really important to us. And you know, I say this each time, but I do I just do want to say... This is one of those those sermons, you know, they say there's a couple sermons that if you teach them, you know, you can always make people feel guilty if you want to, right? One of those is giving, and one of those is, you know, you're not serving enough, you're not at the church enough, and one of them is you're not praying enough, right? And, and the persecuted church can be like that if we're not careful. It can be something that, that produces kind of this feeling of, oh, you know, woe is me, because I'm not getting persecuted enough, right? Or we can get angry about it, and we can say, you know what, we've what, we got to do something, we've got to stop this in some way, and that might not be the right response either. I, I was really praying about this this week, because it's, it's a hard thing to prepare for, and it can be a little depressing sometimes to prepare for, and I was really praying, and I feel like the Lord really put on my heart that the thing I want us to carry away from this today, I'll just tell you now, so that we can be keeping that in mind, I want us to carry away the reminder that this persecution is something that Jesus told us what's going to happen. It's something that Jesus was right about, right? He was correct. He prophesied that, and it has occurred wherever the church is. There has been persecution in some way throughout the church's history, and it's something that is not going to stop the church, right? Mm-hmm. Just isn't, right? And so I want us to keep that in mind, because the, the thing I want us to carry away from this, and for myself too, is I want us to be filled with a little bit of optimism today, a little bit of holy optimism, as we see, yes, there are Difficult things going on in God's church, but it hasn't stopped the church before and it's certainly not going to stop it yet And we have an ability to share in the sufferings of our brothers and sisters through prayer And through the things that we face as we walk with the Lord. So that's where we're going I just want us to kind of get a a general overview a little bit um, And then we're going to look at three different examples of persecution in specific places today We're going to talk about Cyprus. We're going to talk about Canada, which might seem a little odd But we'll talk about it and then we're also going to talk about Afghanistan Um just as a general, uh, there's a couple places that I typically go if you're interested in more information about these things. and You can talk to me afterwards and I'll give you all my all the stuff that I was able to find. Open Doors International is typically a pretty good resource. They're the one that's accepted. Everybody goes in quotes from their world watch list that they publish every year. So that's a good place to go. I would be careful sometimes when you're researching this. A thing I've found is sources are very important when we're talking about the persecuted church. A lot of times you'll see people put things up and if you don't know exactly where it's from, you just want to make sure that you're getting exactly what's going on, that it's not, you know, minimizing the problem. It's also not inflating it for certain reasons. So uh, where you get these information is super important. According to Open Doors, and this is information that was true as of uh, 2021, they've not yet posted their 2022 World Watch List. But according to the best information that they have, on average, 13 Christians worldwide lost their lives because of their faith each day in 2021. Um, On average, again, it's not happening every day, but if you were to kind of average out what occurred over the year of 2021, 12 churches or Christian buildings were attacked or vandalized or interfered with in some way every day, and on average, every day, 12 Christians were unjustly arrested or imprisoned, and another five were abducted every day in 2021. So again, that's, that's just to spread those numbers out over an average. We believe that approximately 4761 believers were martyred in 2021 Um, and again that's that's just that is more than the the 2020 numbers and there was we talked last time we talked about how there's certain situations especially what's going on in Nigeria that have been adding to those significantly right now approximately one in eight believers live in a country where the faith is being actively persecuted and an estimated 75% of religiously motivated violence and oppression targets Christians. Let me say that last one because I think that's important. 75% of the cases where you see violence or oppression that's religiously motivated is targeting Christians when that occurs in the world. So this is something that happens. And I, you know, I don't want to minimize that. I, I don't want us to kind of look away from that or say, oh yeah, that goes on. This is something that happens. It's, it's prevalent. It's something that in some ways is increasing in the world. And you know, the, but at the same time, I want us to see that the one in eight stat is important, right? That means that seven out of eight believers, praise the Lord, live in a place where they're not under active persecution. Right? Which, praise the Lord, that means that the church can flourish and we can grow and we can live at peace. And that's what the Bible tells us we should want. It says to we want to live a peaceful and quiet life, and that's excellent. But for those of our brothers and sisters who do live in these places, I think it's important, and we have almost a responsibility in some ways, to be able to pray with knowledge about what's going on so that we can support them in the way that we can. And that's what we're going to do right now. I want us to learn a little, of, a little bit about the things that are going on so that we can have an understanding and be able to pray. So let's talk about Cyprus, first of all. Cyprus, before I spent some time studying, this was not a situation I was really aware of. It's a tiny little island in the Mediterranean. And, you know, I guess in my mind, when I think of the Mediterranean, I think of a really nice place that I would love to live or vacation someday, right? It's just a place where there's just, you think of this kind of idyllic, like peaceful place. And it's true in a lot of ways. But Cyprus has been going through a kind of a little-known... Uh, time of conflict and religious persecution, um, for a while, my understanding is since the 1980s, the north of the country has been held by Turkish troops. There's been sort of this illegal, right, it's not recognized by the international community, but there's an occupation going on for this line, everything north of this line is being held by Turkish troops right now. And that area is administered by a different government structure that's controlled in some ways by Turkey. And there's very different rules in that area about whether or not you're able to worship freely. Um, Essentially what the Turkish government is doing is is using certain controls, and this is similar to what Turkey does within their own territory. They're using certain controls and pressure to try and ensure that the only faith that's allowed to be practiced freely is Islam in that area. So what they'll do, and, and this is... Again, in some of these more controlled places like Cyprus, sometimes it's difficult to get exact information because you're only able to hear from people who used to be there or you get kind of people who go in and they come out. So this is kind of the best information that I have up to date that I can get. But what will typically happen is churches in this northern area will be required to register with the government if they want to be able to do things like maintain a bank account kind of important for ministry, right, if you're going to need to be able to do something with funds to take care of facilities. If they want to be able to hold services at all, they need to be registered. And in fact, even among the registered churches, regular services are restricted to a few state-accepted kind of mainline denominations. That means that for most of the churches in Turkey, as of I was able to find out, Churches will need to ask advanced permission from the government to hold church services, and that can be as restrictive as they'll say, yeah, okay, here, on, on Easter or once a year, you can have one service. And that's what's allowed for, for Christian churches. Um, in places where maybe they are allowed to have more regular services, it's just accepted and understood that there's always going to be government surveillance and, and kind of representation within the congregation. You're, everything you do is monitored. There's going to be somebody from the government watching you and, and always present there while, you, while you're conducting worship. Churches are allowed to be evicted without notice from their buildings. A lot of historic church buildings, especially, are, are often seized or converted into mosques or military facilities. And this is something that you see. I think, you know, part of this is that they're trying to kind of supplant this historic understanding of the faith that's gone on in Cyprus and say, no, no, no now it's, this is a place that we control. So we're finding visible, you know, historic churches and turning them into something else. is, is I think the hope there. Um, and this is something that affects a lot of different people. Just a, a, a general case that I wanted to talk about because this is one that's more, kind of more in awareness for us here in the States. There was a Christian uh, expatriate named Ryan Keating. I believe he was a pastor from the States. And he had been ministering in Turkey. He had gotten uh, deported, which is a threat that they kind of use in Turkey. is hey, if you, if you mess around and start start doing missionary work in Turkey, we're going to deport you. And so that he'd been threatened with that. So he decided that he was going to relocate to Cyprus, which has Turkish cultural background. He wanted to still be serving in the cultural background that he was kind of used to serving in. So he relocated to um, Northern Cyprus. And last year in 2021, he was serving. There was a, a kind of a building that he was serving out of. He had literature and everything that he was giving out. And he was seized and kind of formally charged with, I guess the technical term here is illegal importation of religious literature. And operating a business without a license. So, the the government structure of of North Cyprus then kind of went through this whole thing. He was released on bail. But this case um, is still ongoing. In fact, I read an update as of, I think, January 10th, I believe. He had a hearing that was going to happen this year where they were going to kind of determine what the next steps in the case were. So, for an entire year, his passport has been held by the North Turkish or the North Cypriot government, I guess would be a technical term, has has held his passport. He's not allowed to travel without permission, and he's essentially kind of having to hang around to find out uh, what the, the next step that they 're going to allow him to do is um, the charges he 's facing there 's heavy fines because the materials are Christian literature in Arabic and Farsi which is not allowed to be handed out in this area. They fine him you know typically t- like, I think ten times the amount or the value which is going to be up to seventy five thousand dollars if he 's convicted so that 's a serious thing that he's you know that a brother in Christ for missionary work is facing um, and still isn 't able to um, you know travel freely because of this. Um, so we need to be in prayer for him. Again, his name is Ryan Keating, and this is just one example. I don't highlight this necessarily just because he's from the U.S., but just to let you know that this happens a lot in places like this. We can think sometimes, yeah, well, that's awful for the people that are living there, but there are governments now where they... They're able to flex their muscle a little bit and say, well, listen, these are our rules for everyone. So you're not allowed to come in and preach the gospel either. This is our rule. And and they're finding themselves more and more able to uh, enforce those rules if they they want to. So let's be in prayer for our brother who's still, you know, in this situation where he's not able to come home. He's kind of having to see what the Lord is going to do on his behalf. Um, And this is something to be aware of with Cyprus. These are similar tactics to what the Turkish government is employing in Turkey to clamp down on on Christians there. You guys may remember Michael and Lucia who kind of were with us in the hotel and they're serving in Turkey right now. So be praying for the believers that we know and just also for the believers that we don't know that God sustains these believers who in a sense are behind the lines in northern Cyprus. Pray that they'd be encouraged. Pray that the Lord would strengthen them. Pray for the, the Turkish presence there, that the Lord would, would change hearts, that he would change the way these things are enforced. Again, this is not something that's set in stone. This is something that just has happened fairly recently and could change if the Lord changes people's hearts. This is all all able to be altered and adjusted. The Lord is certainly able to do that, right? And and also pray for the spread of the gospel, right? These are, we, we know this about, we've talked to people who have served in Turkey. Just because the rule says this, doesn't mean that the gospel is not spreading, right? So pray for the spread of the gospel no matter what the official allowed upon you know, rules are. Pray for things like, pray for gospel literature to be circulated and to be spread. Pray for, for people to have courage and to start stepping out in faith if they're able. Pray that people would be able to attend church services, all those things. So let's be praying for Cyprus. This is a situation that if we do another update here in the next couple months, I might want to revisit this one because it seems like a lot of things are developing with it um, and not one that I was as aware of. Let's talk about Canada a little bit. Now, this is one. Tyler actually asked me to talk about Canada, and I kind of said, hmm, okay, Canada. Right? I was kind of thinking, yeah, Afghanistan, definitely. In the news, we need to talk about this. Canada, all right. So I went and did some research, and I was actually a little bit surprised. That's not a place that you would think of, right, for open violent persecution or suppression of Christians, and overall, you would typically be right. Canada is just not, not a place where the faith has seen a lot of persecution in the past. However, there have been some things that have been occurring through tension and actions against Christians in the last few years. And a lot of this culminated in 2021. Um, So what what started to occur is, and I'm just going to read some of this out uh, directly. And I apologize, I'll be doing a lot of reading today. Um, I won't always be able to give sources, but I have them. So if you would like some more information or some more reading, you can come up and talk to me and I I would happily give that to you. So in 2021... There were a series of what's called the Canadian church fires, which was a series of arsons and suspicious fires, most of them in June and July of that year, that damaged or destroyed more than 68 churches. Now when I say more than 68 churches, 20 or so of those churches, from what I could find out, were actually burned through arsons. Some of them were burned completely to the ground, some of them were damaged. Then there was another 40 or so churches that were vandalized in various ways through like spray paint or things that were broken or windows or things like that, but those weren't burned, so it was a total of 68 churches that were in some way damaged through actual active acts of of arson or vandalism, somebody seeking out to to kind of harm that church building in some way. This is primarily occurring in British Columbia, and again, it's in a a, a pretty tight span of time there. According to Canadian government officials and church members, as well as Canadian indigenous leaders, the speculation is that the fires and other acts of vandalism are reactions to to the discovery of over a thousand unmarked graves at Canadian Indian residential school sites. I'm not going to go into that situation a whole ton today, but basically what occurred is there was a discovery of a really unfortunate and tragic and awful situation that happened in the past where there was mistreatment of Canadian-Indian people at certain what were called residential schools. It's not a good thing. I'm not apologizing for it. I'm just letting you know what what occurred. Because of how terrible that was, there were some people who took it on themselves to enact some kind of retributive justice. They said, okay, this happened. We're going to go ahead and and take these actions against the church. Now that, first of all, is, is awful that we've got these things that are going on. The thing that's even worse, as I did some research, is that it seems from statements from Canadian Indian leaders that as they called for the arsons to stop, they indicated that they didn't believe that this was coming from anywhere in their community. It wasn't as if somebody had, had discovered, wait, this is what happened in the past and someone from a Canadian indigenous community said, I'm going to take it on myself to do this. The Canadian indigenous leaders were publicly making statements saying, this doesn't help, this doesn't fix anything, we don't want this to happen, could you not be attacking these Christian churches? So the best that we can understand, and again, all this could be proven wrong tomorrow, but the best that we can understand what happened is these were somebody who is not from that that in, the Indian community in any way who just took it on themselves to, to carry out these acts thinking that that was in some way in support of the Indian community. Some of the churches that were burned down were Catholic churches or other churches that were located within primarily in Indian communities where where... Canadian indigenous people attended church and so they were they were going publicly in the news and saying you're burning down my church where I go how does that help my community in the past you know so just be aware that this is a very very tense situation that's going on and there's some reasons for that it's a thing that you might want to do some reading on it's it's kind of a historical thing going on that when some of this stuff resurfaces it generates a lot of emotion that makes sense but These attacks have continued, and they're not necessarily something that, again, it's difficult sometimes to tell, how do you fix that if someone does this and there's no evidence, it's difficult to bring any of that to justice. And some of these attacks people are beginning to suspect are actually spawning copycat attacks in the Northwest US in areas that are even less well-connected to the residential school tragedy. So it's even outside of, you know, has nothing to do with that, but it's just people seeing this thing that's going on and deciding, you know what, that's right, I'm gonna go find a church in my community and do something similar. so this is a really awful situation. You can imagine being part of the, a community like that, and how do you navigate that, right? There's people making all these public statements, and some people are speaking on behalf of you. They're coming out and saying, yeah, this is what we should do. And you're saying as a church leader, well, I, I don't know that I think that, right? But then other people are accusing you of things that you didn't do, right? That you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't agree to, that you would come out and speak strongly against. So, and I want to acknowledge, especially about the things going on in Canada, a lot of this also has a real political level to it. And I want to speak really carefully about that. Saying that that's not true doesn't take it away, right? That is the case, that there is political motivation all around some of this stuff. But also I want us to be careful and not just look at it only through that lens. Tyler's reminded us all the time, right? Where is our battle? Is it on this level with the games that the world wants to play? No, not at all. It's in the spiritual, right? And so we see how the enemy uses all of these things, historical tragedies that that are real that have happened, political tensions that are going on now, problems between different communities that are going on now. And he turns all of those in some way to try and find a way to bring it against the church, right? And so that's what I want us to be aware of is, yes, we see these earthly things that are going on, but I want us to always keep in mind, but what is the, number one, what is the Lord doing? And number two, as we're going to read in First Peter here in a few minutes, where is this really coming from? Are the people that we should be upset at, the people we should be looking at, are they the earthly people that are even carrying out these acts? I mean, not according to the Bible, right? Um, You know, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, and and Paul is always looking at, okay, but what is the enemy doing, right? How can we be carrying out the gospel? So I just want that to be a reminder, but I also do want to be aware that some of this, especially in areas like Canada or the United States or the UK, there are political aspects to this that are going on that it's okay to acknowledge and be aware of. and maybe in some way as a function of the tensions that are going on or maybe kind of causing some of the tensions that are going on, Canadian Christians are facing an increasingly restrictive situation in some ways in Canada whether that's in the workplace, there are now laws that prohibit government employees, not anybody, but just public, if you're working at a public you know, building a government employee, you're now no longer in Canada in some areas allowed to wear obvious, you know, religious Uh, garments or insignia or something like that, and that goes across the board, so you're not allowed to wear a Muslim head covering. you're not allowed to wear a cross, anything like that, if you're working in a public public way within the government. There's been cases, uh, more recently there's now cases of families who are barred from carrying out adoptions, or law school graduates who have been stripped of their accreditation due to beliefs that that family or the law school may have, especially in areas involving biblical sexuality. So if there's a public understanding that, okay, this person has this belief that goes against what we you know, say is the belief that we want to have, well, then we can prevent them in some legal way from adopting, or we can deny them their law school accreditation, which means they won't be able to practice law within this province, things like that. Um, I want to make sure I get to this because this is a good reminder. This is a Canadian Christian leader who was speaking to a bunch of Canadian believers and he's kind of talking about this issue, which you can imagine. This would bring a lot of, you know, you start to see this go on in your community. Okay, there's this thing going on and, and now, you know, we're not allowed to do or say this publicly or that could cause some issue with my career. And you start to get worried about those things. I mean, we do, right? We see that and that starts to cause fear and like, well, what is that going to do? And I, I love the way that this leader characterized this. He said, these are, quote, annoyances, inequities, and in some cases, injustices, right? He's just saying, like, this is what these are. It's not fair, it's not right, and it's not really, you know, just, and, and that's not okay, right? But he also says, in and of themselves, they've not prevented the people of God, the church, from carrying out her mission. And that's also important to remember, right? We don't have to pretend that these things aren't there, and they're not real, and they're not sometimes really troubling. But also, we don't have to look at them and give them, give the enemy more power than he actually has over what we're actually here to do, Right? which is to carry out the work of the gospel. And I love that attitude. It's a good reminder. um, As we consider the situation of our Canadian brothers and sisters, as we pray for their continued freedom to worship and to spread the gospel, and then as we prepare our hearts, you know, especially when we look up to Canada, this is like right next door, right? And so it's, it's natural for us to start thinking about, okay, if that's what the Lord is allowing to go on, and that's, I want to remind us, that is, when we look at these things, that is the case. We believe that the Lord is in charge of kings, right? He's in charge of government. So if this is going on, then the Lord is in some way permitting this. If he's permitting those things, then this may be a path that we might walk down someday too. And so as we pray for our brothers and sisters, we include those prayers for ourselves and say, okay, Lord, if this is the, what you're allowing us to endure at some point, then get our hearts ready for that. Prepare us to be able to, Witness faithfully in that situation. So be praying for people in Canada. Be praying for the government and all those things. I start 100%. Look at Acts. You can, you can pray for that stuff, right? You can say, Lord, here's what's going on. Would you turn the heart of this king? Would you allow this ruler to change his mind? Would you protect the church in whatever way that the Lord is going to see fit? So let's keep our brothers up north and sisters up north in prayer um, for those things. And I want to save some time to talk about Afghanistan because there's going to be a lot to, to discuss here and a lot more for me to read um this is a really difficult situation Uh, i'm not gonna i'm not really gonna sugarcoat that the the world watch list that gets prepared by open doors for the last three years afghanistan has taken a very close second to north korea for the number one most difficult spot to be a believer most persecuted spot in the world Um, north korea tends to have that pretty much locked down it's one of the most repressive regimes in history that's ever been, Um, and Afghanistan has now been, has been just second to that for the last three years. This open doors watch list was in 2021. This was prepared before the Taliban retook over large parts of Afghanistan. So this was the case before that occurred. At that time in Afghanistan, living openly as a Christian was impossible. Christian converts face dire consequences if their new faith is discovered. Essentially, converts have two options, flee the country or risk being killed. If their family discovers their conversion, the family, clan, or tribe must save its honor by disowning the believer or killing them. Christians from a Muslim background can also be sent to a psychiatric hospital because leaving Islam is considered a valid sign of insanity. That's according to the Open Doors 2021 uh, watch list. And so, at that time, Christians were living in a constant fear of exposure. They were reluctant to reveal their identities to anybody. Um, They were receiving some death threats, or maybe family members would oppose their interest in Christianity. And before this changeover, according to the State Department, the best Christian sources that the U.S. State Department could get said that there might be some number of dozens of Christian missionaries in all of Afghanistan. Um, so very, very difficult, very difficult country to be, to be doing anything in. Um, I have some people that I'm aware of, well, you can talk to me afterwards, some stuff that I'm aware of from from my job. Uh, there's, it's, it's very difficult. Let's just put it that way. There's basically nobody that's able to go in or out that I would be aware of. Um, So there were people that were serving, but it was very difficult. And that was before um, the Taliban took control. So obviously the situation has significantly worsened as far as we're aware. And I want to emphasize that a lot of this stuff, if it sounds a little bit sketchy, that's because this is the best information that I can come across. Right now there's not a lot of people that can go in, report on how bad it is to be a Christian in Afghanistan and come back out. That's just not the situation. Um, at this time, because the Taliban now kind of controls the government, controls all the major cities and everything, um, there's now Christians who are afraid of being reported essentially to the Taliban by family members. They fear violent treatment. And there's reports of homes being searched, individuals receiving threats from, from the government, that kind of thing. Um, the CEO of Release International said that he believes that in 2022 there's a very real threat for there to be higher levels of violent persecution in Afghanistan than there have been before. Um, Especially because now if the government is in control and they're, emph- they're putting in a religious regime, as a Christian, you, you think about the situation that you'd be in. That means that people are watching you to see, are you carrying out the outward signs of being a, a Muslim? So are you, are, you, you know, are you praying five times a day? Are you giving the Shahada, the Islamic profession of faith? Are you going to the mosque on Friday? If you're not doing those things, then very real questions can be asked. And those questions can have very real you know, it's not just a question of, hey, why why are you like that? It's it's, they could have actual real consequences behind them. Um, Mm -hmm. So this really increases the vulnerability of believers. Before they were hoping, okay, you know, I just won't talk publicly about being a believer and I can still practice in private, but now it's this situation where I have to make these outward signs or people are going to start to ask questions. And you can imagine the situation that puts you in where you don't want to transgress your conscience, you don't want to do something that you don't agree with, right? But also you're you're trying to think about your family and say, okay, what is the Lord asking me to do? So a really difficult situation where we need to be seriously in prayer for them. This comes as there's a, a major poor harvest and a breakdown in the Afghan economy in 2021 which is causing food shortages and there's a serious concern that Christians would face discrimination if they're known believers they would face discrimination in that situation so if you're in a town and and foods already tight the people that you are not going to take care of would be anybody that you're aware "Mm, I don't think they're really a good Muslim so they just don't need to be taken care of and that's a danger that they face as well so because of the Taliban now controlling the situation they can now basically completely remove freedom for religious minorities um, and Christians and I don't I'm trying to be really careful and only say what I'm aware of but the best information I'm aware of is that Christians are really in serious extreme danger, not something that's being exaggerated for headlines, but genuinely this is something that's that's going on. Um, There's reports now that Christians might be receiving, you know, threatening phone calls or messages from the Taliban. So the Taliban will start calling people and saying, hey, just so you're aware, we know who you are. We know where you're at. You know, we're coming for you next kind of thing. and there's some Christians who have expressed that since Kabul the, the, has been taken over, they're, they just kind of live with this expectation that they may be just some, at some point, someone's going to knock on their door and take them out and kill them. Um, there's a, again, these are reports. I don't have like a specific, I'm just telling you what I've heard reported, not like, something written down that this happened on this day but there's reports that the Taliban might threaten to do that if they find a Christian who's using public transportation or that if they find that you have Bible software on your cell phone or something like that 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 could be cause for you to be executed um, and Christians are also fearing for the safety of their children the Taliban has publicized you know said we're going to do quote eradicating the ignorance of irreligion which means that they would seize non-muslim women and girls for slavery um, and then forcing young boys to serve as as child soldiers. So those are both, again, not necessarily that I'm aware of things that they are doing, but things that they've said, this is what we will do to get rid of anything that isn't Muslim practice in the area that we control. Um, and that's according to the Hill, so that's, a lot of these are, this is not just all Christian sources, this is just now the U.S. government and, and other observers saying this is what's going on here, it's a very serious situation. Um, so. And again, I told you, I warned you, there's some of this, is just, there's no way to dress that up or to make that um, a happy situation. That's a, a tragedy that's facing our brothers and sisters that they're dealing with. Let's definitely pray for God to miraculously protect his church in Afghanistan, right? This is not a, and, and I understand, again, like we said, I'm sure we all have some opinions on if we could just pull the levers and control the geopolitics, we could fix it. I'm sure we, I think that, right? Don't we all think that? But here's the thing. That's always how it's been for the church. I, don't you think that sometimes if Paul was sitting with his friends, he'd say, you know, if they would just do this and that, it would be a lot easier. I'm sure they had those conversations. But what ultimately, we're looking to the Lord to miraculously provide for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. That's the one who's in control of that situation. He's the one who's going to be able to do something, right? I'm sitting here right now in, in Alabama. I'm not able in my flesh to physically change anything about that situation as much as I would want to, but I can. In the Spirit pray and ask in faith that the Lord would do that, right? And so that's an opportunity that I have and I want to make sure I take advantage of that. And let's also pray seriously that the people seeking their lives would be violently saved kind of Damascus Road experiences, right? Is that not what happened with Paul, right? Paul wasn't out there just kind of a seeker. He was seeking people. <laughs> That's what Paul was doing. And, and the Lord fixed that, right? The Lord took care of him. And, and praise the Lord, not just got him saved, but used him then in this powerful way. And guys, if you want to hear the coolest stories of people getting saved, you need to be reading stuff about the Muslim world right now. Because the what you know the, the people that are seeking these believers, Taliban, there's evidence potentially of ISIS people operating in the, in the area as well, um, These are the people that you go read the stories about. Yeah, and then I just had this dream and and I got saved, right? Like crazy, miraculous things where the Lord is saying, okay, so you won't allow missionaries? That's all right. I've got it, right? And so let's be praying for that kind of thing, that the Lord would be bringing testimonies and a harvest, even out of people who've set themselves against him, right? The Lord's certainly able to do that. All right. So when we see all this stuff, and I understand, right? I, I had to sit there and prepare it for a week. So when we see all these things, it can be a thing that's heavy and a little bit concerning and, and kind of depressing <laughs> to read and to understand what's going on and not understand that. But I want to make sure that we spend some time hearing from the Lord about what our attitude towards these things should be. So as we, as we wrap up, I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. And I'm going to read verses 6 through 10 for us And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. All right, that is, that's just encouraging. I could just, we could just stop and pray about that, right? (laughs) But what, here's some things that I noticed as I was reading through that passage that explains to us things that we need to know about persecution. The first thing I noticed is it identifies the source of persecution, right? Where does it come from? It says it comes from Satan. Satan. Now, now, persecution comes through people, right? And we've all experienced that. You've been at a job and there's somebody, a face, a person that you think about that's just giving you a, a horrible time. And not just because there's a personality conflict and you don't like this or that about them. I mean, like, because they found out you were a believer, all of a sudden the way that they acted towards you changed, right? And there's this constant, you know what, they just, they seem to not like me because of Jesus, right? We've experienced that before. And it comes through people, and it's tempting to look at that person and to say, you know what, if the Lord would just fire that person, <laughs> or the Lord would just get rid of that leader, or the Lord would fix this, then we wouldn't have this persecution anymore. And I understand that temptation, right? But here's the thing. Who does it say is the adversary that prowls around like a roaring lion? Who is the person that we're supposed to be sober-minded and be watchful about? It's Satan, right? And we it's so easy to get that, that twisted up. This instruction is to be sober-minded and watching and be aware that the enemy is there. Not to be constantly watching the rulers of this earth and keeping tabs on, what are they doing? Let's be watching our enemies. Those aren't our enemies. Now, in the flesh they might be, right? They come against us and they want to do, that's, that's true. But are those actually our enemy? Not according to Peter. He says that the constant schemes of the enemy are coming from Satan, who's the accuser, and he's the liar, and he wants to tempt and destroy us. And I want to encourage us that it's really tempting from the enemy when we see these trials and these struggles that our brothers and sisters are facing, or sometimes when it comes home for you, you know, you face a trial or a struggle that the enemy is bringing. It's tempting for us to be filled with fear and doubt, right? That's a struggle that I usually have. I read about these things. I hear about some family that they, they are carrying out a martyr's witness right to the end with the Lord. And I read that, and maybe this isn't a good reaction to have, but my reaction is, oh my goodness, Lord, like I must not be really saved because I don't know that I could do that right now, you know? And you start thinking those thoughts, and then the enemy loves that. He's like, yeah, that's right. You probably couldn't do that. You're weak. Like, there's no way that you could witness the Lord, right? And he starts attacking you in that way. Don't let him do that, Right? You know, oh, I must not be a Christian. I haven't suffered like they have. Okay, I think the Lord is able to play The Bible says he can place us in families. You think he can't place us in countries? You think he doesn't know that you're supposed to be right here? Hey, you get over here, and maybe for some of us that's because that's all we can handle, right? And that's all right. <laughs> the Lord knows that, and maybe for some of us it's because the Lord says, no, nope, this is where I want you. I know what I'm doing, and I've placed you right here. The Lord's in charge of that. Don't allow the enemy to start bringing in those fears or that doubt about the future. You don't know. The Lord knows your future, and and the Bible says, that he even said this to the believers in Acts. He said, don't start thinking about what you're going to say. Don't start letting your mind go around about, oh, but what if this happened? What would I do? He said, I'll take care of you at that time. In the meantime, I've got stuff that you're busy with, right? And then when that time comes, I'm going to take care of you. The Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say and the way to act, right? So the Lord is going to give you the grace that you need right when you need it. So we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be, you know, doubting or worried. But you know what? We also don't need to be angry because it doesn't really... carry out the righteousness of God, the Bible says, right? We don't need to be looking at these earthly principalities and rulers and forgetting who is actually bringing the persecution, right? And and even that verse, and I'll just, I just want to gently and lovingly encourage and warn you guys. The verse when it talks about, when it says, be sober-minded and be watchful, that is a verse that a lot of people on the internet want to use so that you subscribe to their feed of information about how bad things are and I, I, I'm being very genuine right now, please, I urge you to not allow them to tell you what to be watching. Because that is not what the Lord has asked you to be watching. We're not sober-minded in watching, okay, if I, if I pay enough attention to, to that government over there, then I can do... You, what, what is that accomplishing? Is it filling your heart with the joy of the Lord? Is it filling you with, with a, a certain knowledge? that You know what? God has got this in control. It doesn't for me. If I watch that stuff for five minutes, I'm, I'm sure that we're all doomed. <laughs> That's how we... right. Like, that's, that's what it produces in your heart. And I just want to encourage you, that is what it's supposed to produce. That's a product that's designed to make you afraid and angry so that you will keep watching. That's how those people, I, I mean, that's how they literally make money, right? And I want to encourage you, what Peter says is, no, no, we know our adversaries out there, but verse 9, we're able to resist him firm in our faith, yes. right? That's what we're supposed to be doing. When we see these things happening, and they're scary, it's worrisome. It's, it might make you a little righteously angry even. You say, Lord, why are you allowing this to go on? That's okay. All those emotions are all right. But who is the one who's going to restore and confirm and strengthen and establish us, right? That last verse was so cool. You read that. You say, I want all that. Well, Who does that? It says, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ is going to do those things for you, right? And those are things that I want to see in my life, attitudes and, and assurances that I want to have. When are we strong against our adversary, the devil? When we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, and we look to Him to be taking care of us, right? I I am not strong against these things when I'm thinking, okay, now what what scheme am I going to enact that's going to stop this from happening in my town? Well, guess what, guys? (laughs) I'm not that smart. I don't have that much power. And honestly, even if I had that much power, that might not be good for all the rest of (laughs) y'all. I don't know, right? But who is able to know what's right? In these situations. The Lord is. And when I pray my prayers that sometimes are filled with all these things, the Lord can sort out even. He can say, nope, I'm not gonna do this one. I know you prayed it in, in a good heart, and you wanted this good thing, but I know what's right, so this I'm not gonna do, but this I do want to do. Right? The Lord is able to sort those things out from my heart. The Bible says that sometimes when we don't even know what to pray, we look at a situation like Afghanistan, and guys, I don't I don't know how to pray for that. I don't even know exactly what I should be praying or asking the Lord for, but the Lord knows. So I can look at it and say, Lord, like would you do something. <laughs> would you please do something, right? And the Lord can sort that out. That's a sufficient prayer. And then it says, let's cast our anxieties onto God and trust that He's able to keep us and to preserve us from anything that we would be unable to bear, right? When we see these things and we start to worry about, well, oh, I don't know if I could make it through that. Listen, there's been plenty of things that has happened, even in my life, that I definitely couldn't have made it through that without the Lord, and that doesn't mean that I got all prepared ahead of time. That means that in that moment, the Lord gave, I, can, I can think of places I've been standing when the Lord gave me grace that I didn't have five minutes ago that I needed for the situation I was in now, right? And we can all think of that happening in, in, in times when you're like, okay, Lord, it's got to be you from this point on because I'm, I'm done. Like, I just don't know what I'm going to do now. Hasn't the Lord come through for us in those moments? He's provided for us the things that we need. And you know... <laughs> There's a temptation, right, sometimes, and I know, we know we're not supposed to do this, right? We read about these sufferings that are going on, and and we know, hey, that's persecution, right? So we don't get to lump in, oh, yeah, I got cut off on the way to work, but I'm just suffering for Jesus, right? No, that's not persecution, right? You're not being persecuted. So we know we're not supposed to do that. That's extreme. Okay, I understand that. But I also want to remind, because I was reminded of something as I studied this. Here's the thing I do want us to remember. When it says... Resist firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, right? So where does our suffering come from? It does come from the enemy. And whether that's we're being afflicted in some way, or there's actual persecution, or whatever it is, isn't the enemy trying to use those to get at us and to try and discourage us and keep us from wanting to follow Jesus? We've all experienced that, right? So there is a sense in which the things that we suffer Whether they're actual religious persecution, right, or it's just this is the struggle that is going on in my life that the enemy is trying to use, right? Those things are all part of the same suffering that we're united with the body of Christ in suffering for the Lord, right? And that is okay to say, yeah, in that same way. Now, I wouldn't hold certain things up against certain other things and say, yes, I've suffered just like that other person has suffered. But it's it's not a competition. We're not here trying to earn the Lord's favor, right? We're here saying, okay, Lord, here's where you've placed me. Whatever it is that you're going to bring into my life, I trust that you're going to be able to give me the grace that I need to suffer well through that. And that could be all kinds of things. I don't even want to think about some of them. But the Lord knows what the future is. He knows what I'm able to take. He knows what my family is able to go through. And He's going to give me the grace right at the moment that I need it for those things. So what are we supposed to do when we look at this stuff, right? And we're tempted to just kind of say, oh, well, you know, the sky is falling. I guess it's all—it's all—it's all done now, right? It's all—it's all over. Or we're tempted to get upset, and we start wanting to defend ourselves in the arm of the flesh in some way. Here's—here's here's, I think a thing that I've been—I've been praying about lately. We are in a situation, aren't we, where the, we are not worried about this, right? We came in and out of the door. Nobody was hiding or watching out to see if somebody was going to come in that we didn't know because we'd be worried about that. That's not where we live. Praise the Lord. That's okay. We can can be happy about that. I am thankful. Y'all, I'm thankful every day that I get to raise kids where I get to raise kids. So we we talk about it in my house. Like, praise the Lord that this is where the Lord placed me. That's a blessing. It's okay to enjoy those blessings from the Lord. That's that's the thing the Lord has blessed you with. That's good. But here's the thing. We've received that blessing so that we can be preparing and training ourselves in godliness so that when there's a moment of testing, and I don't know what that's going to look like, Right? I have no idea. Could be that that doesn't look like it does for somebody else. It could be that all of a sudden it really looks like it is for other people in the world. Either of those things could be true. And At that moment, I want to have been using this training time well so that I am prepared for the moment where some of these things do, you know, it matters all of a sudden the way that I've been preparing. It's just like for sports or anything else. They say you sink to the level of your training, right? You don't, you don't always rise to that situation. I mean, the Lord provides for you and He gives you grace, right? Of course. But He's also giving you grace at this moment. He's giving you this period of time to be ready for whatever it is that the enemy is going to throw at you. And he's going to be able to prepare you in this time. Look to him for those things that you need. And also, I think it's very important that we be fighting the right war right now. That we be watching out for the correct enemy and not getting ourselves distracted by these, all, these other battles that are fine battles sometimes even, but is it the actual war we're supposed to be engaged in, right? You know, I'll just close with this because I just wanted to make sure that I wanted to make sure that we closed on, some, on remembering who the Lord is because we're about to go to the communion table. And, you know, it's because, it's just like it says at the end of this verse, it's because of the suffering of Jesus that Jesus purchased his grace for us, right? It's because of that that we don't have anything to fear, no matter what it is that we see going on out there or what it is that we see happens to us. It's not because we're so strong and because I'm so sure. I, just, I have a lot of hope and I feel great today, so I'm just encouraging you to have hope. On days when we don't have hope or we don't feel great, Jesus has purchased through his suffering everything that we need for life and godliness, the Bible says. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us his grace. Anything that we would need to face these things, we have through Jesus. Praise the Lord. And you know, I see these things that come by every once in a while. Maybe it's just the corner of the internet I'm on. But you see these people, and they they don't know the Lord, so they need to be pitied, not laughed at. But you see these people, and I saw this thing the other day. Somebody asked, well, you know, what do you think thought he was really smart, and he was asking, what, what do you think is going to be the situation of religion in the next 100 years? Where do you think, what role do you think religion will play in people's life? I see all these comments from people saying, oh, yeah, well, definitely. Like, it'll be basically gone. Like, I mean, we have technology now. And I just kind of started laughing, right? And they say, oh, you know, yeah, like, before we thought this way, and I just, you know, the Bible says the Lord laughs at the nations. Why? People have been saying that every new century for 2,000 years. People have been saying, well, <laughs> guess we got them now. We, don't you know, we can persecute them now. We can watch their phones now, ooh, right? You think the Lord's sitting up there saying, oh man, I've, uh, we, I could protect them for all this time, but now technology! I can't. Now come on, right? For 2,000 years, the Lord has preserved His church, and everybody's been calling the church dead every decade since then. I don't think there's anything new that the enemy is cooking up now that should be scaring me, right? And, and I want to really encourage you, when you see these things, the, the attitude to take is to take them to the Lord and say, Lord, you do it like Hezekiah, right, where he lays the letter out and he says, well, here's what he thinks he's going to do. You, you do something, Lord. I don't know what to do. I don't have people. I don't have enough. But you, Lord, you've got to do something, right, and lay it out with the Lord. And I, I can guarantee you we're able to look at the future of this church right here that we go to, you know, in, in Alabama, the future of God's church. I'm not worried about that. Am I concerned for certain parts of it? Yes, I am. And that they suffer, I'll I'll pray for them and ask that the Lord will preserve them. But is God's church going to still be around? Yeah, I'd bet on that. (laughs) Because the Lord has come through in every single situation before he's going to do that again.